Hare Krishna and happy Radhastami to everyone. Um, 2019, September 8th. So uh, today is Radhastami. Ashtami, of course, means the eighth lunar day. Ashtami. So Radharani appeared on the eighth lunar day of this month. And she is so important to um, to everything, not only to our spiritual lives, but just to the nature of reality. And um, it's not really possible to understand God, to understand Krishna without understanding Radharani, as we will see, just as we cannot understand Radharani without understanding Krishna. So I'm going to begin uh, trying to understand and explain something about Radha, Krishna's consort, Srimati Radha, by quoting from the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, which explains who Radha Rani is uh, in a very profound sense her unique nature her, I mean there, she just like Krishna is one there's no one who is exactly like Krishna there's no one equal to Krishna so the position or the identity the nature the reality of Radharani is entirely unique in all of the in all existence and so uh, we can understand that by hearing from uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj in his great and authorized work on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So he mentions Radha in the fifth verse. He begins his book. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, of course, off, uh, bowing to his gurus, bowing to the Vaishnavas, to the different manifestations of God, ultimately to Krishna Chaitanya, to Lord Chaitanya as Krishna himself. And then in text five, which is obviously very, very early in the work, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita is uh many 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 verses but in the fifth verse krishnadas says this radha krishna pranaya bikritir radha krishna he's not saying radha krishna he's saying radha is he's defining radha he's saying radha is krishna pranaya bikriti a transformation of Krishna's love. So that itself is um, not the easiest thing in the world to understand. Uh, what it means to say that your existence is a transformation of Krishna's love. The word in Sanskrit is vikriti, which I'm translating transformation. Uh, that's 
yeah, it means it can be a development of Krishna's love, uh, modification, variation, transformation. So anyway, won't worry about that word for now. So Krishna Pranaya Vikriti, that's who Radha is. She is Krishna Pranaya Vikriti, a particular manifestation, a particular transformation of Krishna's love or of love for Krishna. And Ladini Shakti, she is Krishna's bliss potency. She's the potency of bliss. Of course, it's important to understand that she is a person because words like transformation or energy or potency may suggest to many people something impersonal like electricity is an energy. But here uh, we're talking about a person. And asmat means from this. I'm going over this verse very carefully. Radha is Krishna pranaya vikriti. Pranaya means love. Ladini Shaktir, she's Krishna's Ladi bliss potency, and therefore Asmat from this, and, and here we come to some of the most uh, amazing words in all of our books, uh, words that you can meditate on for the rest of your life. Ekat Manav, a P. So Ekat, uh, Eka means one, Atma means soul, Atmanav means two souls. Sanskrit has singular, plural, and dual. So it says here that the one is two souls, or two souls are one. This is, it's not merely philosophical, it's also romantic. If you think about it, this world is a reflection, often, you know, usually a perverted reflection of the spiritual world. And so if you think about uh, the most intense forms of romantic love before, as in this world, they often have problems. But in the most intense forms of romantic love, when it exists, there is a very strong sense of two souls being one and yet still being two souls. And so as we know, not only is this world just a reflection, as Prabhupada often said, perverted reflection of the spiritual world. But even in our normal state, I mean, even in our pure state, apart from our conditioned state in the material world, we as individual souls are part of Krishna, as he says in the Bhagavad Gita 15.5, Mamai uh, Vangsa or 15.7, Mamai Vangsa Jiva Loke. We are part of Krishna. And <clears throat> Prabhupada said that we are the same in quality with Krishna, but the quantity of our consciousness is much less. But if we think for a moment about that oneness of quality, we often talk about the difference. We, but if we talk for a moment about the oneness, that means that in our own limited way, in our own limited, finite way, we experience uh, much of what Krishna experiences, but of course in a limited way. And if you think about our experiences of romantic love, for those who have such experiences, even if 
let's say those experiences are mundane and therefore not eternal and not ultimately real, but they're not absolutely unreal. Because to be a reflection of something else means that the reflection reflects a lot of what the real thing is. That's what reflection is, it reflects. For example, if you look at the reflection of a mango tree, we'll use a tropical fruit here. If you look at a reflection of a mango tree in clear water, um, even though that reflection is not a real mango tree, it still tells you exactly what a mango tree looks like. Or if you look at your face in a mirror, the reflection is reversed and it's not you, the reflection is not you, but it does show you what your external form looks like. And so even though the reflection in this world, say romantic love, it's reversed in the sense that in pure romantic love, such as that experienced by Radha and Krishna, um, both parties have a, an absolutely pure desire to please the other, and they have no desire to gratify themselves in that relationship. So that is spiritual love. In this world, uh, in romantic love, normally, there is a strong desire to gratify oneself. But even then, um, in this world, everything comes in the three modes of nature, you know, whether it's pizza or different kinds of activity or music or, you know, intelligence. Basically, what, what is that verse, A, B, Gunamayar, Bhavayar? That, that um, I forget the exact Sanskrit, but Krishna says that there's nothing in this world about these three modes of nature. So, so, so that means romantic love. We can also talk about romantic love in three modes of nature in this world. And of course, there would be romantic love and ignorance, which means it's completely destructive. And the relationship consists of both parties pretty much destroying themselves and each other. And we've seen things like that. And there's romantic love and passion in which there's some sense of propriety, there's some respect between the parties. Uh, people do their duties, for example. Uh, they, they keep their promises, but there's still pride and there's, uh, mundane, there's mundane pride, mundane jealousy. There's still a, a very strong sense of wanting to enjoy the relationship. But then you have romantic love and goodness. Now, romantic love in, in the mode of goodness is not pure, it's not spiritual, but it is approaching the spiritual. In fact, if you look at Prabhupada's purports in, the, in his Bhagavad Gita as it is, uh, where Krishna talks about over 20 different aspects of life and the modes of nature, and sometimes Prabhupada takes the mode of goodness to be almost a, a, a spiritual state. And so in Krishna consciousness, uh, we recognize the spiritual platform, spiritual existence to be Shuddha Sattva, 
purified goodness. So um, that means that the spiritual platform and the material mode of goodness are in one sense the same thing, but one is pure and one is still not completely pure. For example, let's say you have water, pure water, and then you have water, which is, it's water, but it still has some impurity. The impure water is still water. It's not an absolutely different thing. It's not like water, which is not completely pure, is actually a steel bridge or, I don't know, or, or, or a piece of wood or, you know, a book. It's, it's water, but it has some impurity. And so, and so in the material world, all these modes are competing. And so people in this world do experience romantic love uh, sometimes in the mode of goodness. And that romantic love in the mode of goodness is relevant to our discussion here because it gives us some idea of what spiritual romantic love is. And Prabhupada himself uh, uses that analogy in the beginning of his Krishna book, where he says when people look at a book cover like this and say, you know, here's a boy and a girl, who is the boy, who's the girl? I mean, Prabhupada throughout his preaching uh, referred to experiences that we had in life to say that it is like that, except that it's, it's pure. And uh, that's why we can understand Krishna consciousness. Of course, those in the mode of goodness can understand much better, but, but Prabhupada constantly referred to things in this world and then explained, so imagine that in a pure state, or in an unlimited state, and then you can begin to grasp Krishna, or in this case, Radha and Krishna. So I mention all this because, um, so if we go back to that strong sense that people in this world have of romantic love, um, where two people feel they become one, if you meet someone, let's say you, you, you just meet someone and that person becomes a friend of yours or an acquaintance or an associate, uh, there's still, there's still the, by far the, the overwhelming sense is that, okay, I am me and, and you are you and we are two different persons, but you know, it's, it's nice to be with you or we're friends or something like that. But the more, but as we go to these more intense forms of relationship, the more people are uh, experience romantic love and romantic love, let's say in the mode of goodness, uh, then the more there is a selfless sense where two people who were simply two people, they were simply two individuals, perhaps lonely to some extent uh, or whatever, and now they really feel when, that they are a couple. It's like one thing. It's, it's one reality, which is a couple. And of course, this can go too far and become, uh, what do they call that, codependence and all that. But I mention all this just to say that if we go back to this verse in the Chaitanya Charitamrita and look at what, at what Krishnadas Kaviraj is saying, it's something that we can get some sense of by remembering experiences we may have had of romantic love. 
in this world, it, obviously not the same thing. <laughs> not the, it wasn't absolutely spiritual. It's not Radha and Krishna, but it gives us a clue to sort of, it gives us a clue, an idea that helps us to understand or imagine as far as possible what Radha and Krishna must be. Not that we think we can understand it perfectly or claim to understand it completely, but at least it puts us on the trail and it, it takes us away from impersonalism where people may say, that's impossible. There, you know, there can be no such thing as eternal romantic love. You know, if there's a God, God would certainly never feel romantic love, never actually engage in a romantic relationship. Really, the truth is just impersonal or the truth is some kind of uh, atheistic view. So because we're part of Krishna, because we are little samples of Krishna, and because even in our life in this world, in the material mode of goodness, we start to get a glimpse of reality. And because we may have experienced moments, perhaps not years or months or even weeks, but we may have experienced moments of uh, romantic love, which was somewhat virtuous or in goodness. And that gives us a clue that helps us to understand that what Krishnadas Kaviraj is saying here by the words ekatmanav, that two souls are one. I mean, there's unlimited romantic poetry, most of it pretty bad poetry, but there's unlimited, there's unlimited poetry and songs you can hear where people talk about this. Two souls are one. And this feeling that two souls are one actually comes from Radha and Krishna. Two souls are one. So I'm going to read more about what Krishnadas says here. Ekatmanava P, even though, and he's going to say something interesting because he says, even though the two souls are one, Bhuvi, Pura, here on earth, on this planet, Pura, in the past. And he's talking about what for us is a little over 5,000 years ago. And obviously for Krishna Das was more like 4,600 years ago or 4,500 years ago. So he says that the two, even though the two souls are one on earth, on this planet, in the past, Deha Vedam Gatautau, those two assumed a different, they assumed different bodies. And of course he's talking about Radha and Krishna. Krishna Das is referring to the fact that the two souls are one. It's very deep philosophy. The two souls are one. They're really just in a sense one soul or they're one, but they are, but at the same time they're two souls. And yet in the past on this planet, they assumed different bodies. They have paid them And then he says, Aduna, but now, so he says Pura in the past, they took on different bodies, but now Tadvayam, uh, those two have assumed a state of oneness. It's very interesting. In the past, the two souls are one, 
But in the past, on Earth, they assumed different bodies. But now, those two have taken on a state of oneness, which is manifested to the world now as Chaitanya. He says Chaitanyakyam, which means with the name of Chaitanya, or known as, or, or called Chaitanya. So the two souls were one in the past on earth. They assumed different bodies as Radha and Krishna. Now on the same planet, uh, those two have again appeared as one and manifested as Lord Chaitanya. Radha Bhava Duti Suvalitang Noni Krishna Swarupam. Very interesting. Uh, Krishna does, in the last line of this verse says, Nomi, which is another form of Namami, which means I, I bow. As we often say, offer my obeisances. Uh, literally, I bow to Krishna Swarupa. This is very, and this is also, this is very, very, very profound philosophy. Um, he says, I bow to Krishna Swarupam. Now the word Swarupa, Rupa of course means form, a vis like a, a visible form. It also means actually in Sanskrit, a beautiful form. And Swarupa, Swa means one's own or one's personal form. And so Swarupa can mean the real form of something, like your Swarupa, your personal form in the spiritual world, your, your own form, your real form, your personal form. So Krishnadas says, know me, I bow to the real form, the personal form of Krishna, which is adorned with the splendor of Radha's bhava, Radharani's emotional state or feelings. Very profound verse. It's a very long verse. It's obviously much longer than the typical shloka, which technically means a shloka technically is a verse that has four lines, each one eight syllables. This one is, the first line has um, 17 syllables. So it's, it's practically, the lines are practically twice as long as a normal verse. And that's done in Sanskrit composition when someone is saying something really important. And, and so um, that's what Krishnadas says. I bow to Krishna Swarupa, a true form of Krishna. So he's making, this is not like, for example, the Bhagavatam says the Virata Rupa, the cosmic form or the universal form of Krishna is something which is imagined for meditation. No, Krishnadas is making clear, it's not like that. It's not a form that Krishna is manifesting and then, uh, but it's not really his form, it's just something he did uh, for some time, for some purpose on a material planet. No, he said, this is Krishna Swarupa. This is a true form of Krishna and it is adorned with the splendor of the feelings or the state of, of Radha. But we translate bhava, we translate, you know, even translate emotions or feelings. The word bhava literally means a state of being because it comes from the Sanskrit verb to be. That's where, in fact, the be in bhava 
is the same be as the English word to be, like to be or not to be. So, um, so to say Radha Bhava can mean, uh, as Prabhupada translates it here, the mood of Srimati Radharani, but in the sense of her state of being. And this sense her emotional or psychological state of being, the state of her consciousness. And so Radha Bhava duty, and duty means that effulgence, Suvalita Nomi Krishna Sarupam. So that's it's that's a, a verse which um has I think more profound philosophy than anyone can fully understand uh, in one life. And so then the next verse, he says, Sri Radhaya Pranaya Mahima Kidrasho Va. So on. So here, this verse is a series of questions which Krishna is asking. And it was to answer those questions that Krishna came as Lord Chaitanya. Appeared as Lord Chaitanya to answer a series of questions that he's asking here in this verse as presented by Krishnadas Kaviraj. So the first words are Sri Radhaya, of Sri Radha, uh, Pranaya Mahima, the greatness of her love, the greatness of Sri Radha's love, the greatness of Radha's love, Kidrasho, what is it like? Kidrasho va anayaiva. And anaya, anaya means uh, the love which is experienced by Radha, referring to Radha. So he says, Kidrasho va, what is it like? And aswadya, jena, and what is it that is being relished by that love? Aswadyo jena adbhuta madhurima. And the, um, the amazing uh, sweetness, the, 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 that wonderful adbhuta, astonishing sweetness, kidrashova uh, madhya. What is that like uh, that she finds in me? So I'll read some of the translations so we can follow how Prabhupada translates it. Desiring to, desiring to understand the glory of Radharani's love. Uh, which is um, sort of a translation of the last line of this verse. Desiring to understand the glory of Radharani's love, the wonderful qualities in him that she alone relishes through her love and the happiness she feels when she realizes the sweetness of his love, the Supreme Lord Hari, richly endowed with her emotions, appeared from the womb of Srimati Sachi Devi as the moon appeared from the ocean. So if you think about it, among people who are not arrogant or narcissistic or too proud, if someone that you admire loves you, 
it may actually catch you by surprise. Like, I didn't think that she would love me or I didn't think that he would love me or what does he see in me or what does she see in me? You may actually be surprised that you have earned or that you have somehow achieved the love of someone you admire. And if you see that that person loves you even perhaps more than you think you deserve because based on how I treat that person or just based on who I am, I'm actually surprised at how loyal they are to me or how much they love me or, or I'm surprised that a person who has themselves so many of their own qualifications, why or how they could feel that they cannot be happy without me. And so it was these kinds of thoughts, which again, in our own tiny, impure way, they are, they are thoughts and feelings that we can understand. If we had nothing like that inside of ourselves, if we experienced nothing like what Krishna is experiencing here, according to Krishna's Kaviraj, the questions that Krishna is asking himself. If we had absolutely nothing in our own experience, which was at all like this, we could not understand what this means. Krishna Das Kaviraj's words here would mean absolutely nothing to us. It would just be, I don't want to say gibberish, but it would just it would be meaningless. We would just say, I have no idea what he's talking about. I, I, I feel nothing. I, I have no empathy for that. I cannot in any way enter into the mood of what he's saying. I have no empathy, no sympathy. It means nothing to me. But that's not our reaction. In fact, if we are serious about Krishna consciousness, and then when we hear these descriptions, which by the way, Krishna Das has written this for us. Krishna Das is trying to communicate with us, with all the people who would hear this. He's writing a book. He, you know, he wrote and published a book that he wanted people in the world to read and take seriously. Otherwise, why go to all the trouble? And, um, and he wrote this book believing correctly that people in the world would somehow be able to understand it. And the only way we can understand what Krishnadas is saying is by reference to feelings that we've had. We know that Krishna's feelings are infinite and ours are tiny. We know that Krishna's feelings are pure and ours are not yet completely pure. And yet we can relate to it, to use the common word. We feel something when we hear this. We appreciate it. It inspires us precisely because as tiny parts of Krishna, we can have similar feelings and therefore we can understand God. Because don't forget, there's so many people in the world that say that you cannot know God. You know, maybe there's a God, but God is not knowable, which would be really ridiculous because if God creates the world, why create or expand or manifest souls? And then you're the father of those souls. And yet 
the father will never ever let the children, his own children, understand him. I mean, that's sick. If you have children and you hide from them, you never allow, if you're a mother or father, and you never allow your children to see you and never allow your children to un understand you, you have emotional problems. And so Krishna, as, a, as, as the supremely pure soul, wants us to understand him. He has, he has, I don't want to say created us because we've always existed, but in that sense created us in a way where we do have the power to understand him. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita 719 uh, that Janmana after many births, someone who understands me surrenders to me. Krishna comes to this world and speaks Bhagavad Gita and inspires the Bhagavatam so that we can understand him. And that would make no sense unless we are able to understand God. We are able to understand these words of Krishna's Kaviraj that Krishna is asking himself these questions that many people in love have asked themselves. Uh, not exactly the way Krishna does because he's God, but still we're part of Krishna. We can understand him. We can relate to this. We have some reference points within our own life history, within our own emotions. And so these are the questions Krishna is asking. Kidrisho, what kind of love is this? What is the greatness of this love? And how is it that Radharani, what does she see in me? Sokyam chasya madanu bhavata. And what is that state of happiness that she experiences when she, when she experiences me? How is she experiencing me that gives her so much happiness and that makes her so anxious to be with me? And so on. And so, uh, so, which means literally enriched with these feelings, the, the questions, the, these emotional questions, enriched with that, samajani, he fully appeared. It's very interesting because the word in Sanskrit, ajani, would mean he took birth. But the word samajani in Sanskrit means he fully took birth. In other words, it was all of Krishna. Samajani. Sachi Garbha Sindhu in the from the ocean of Sachi's womb, because the you know there's a, that that uh, understanding that the, the that the moon came out of out of the ocean, the milk ocean, and so from the ocean of Sachi's womb, Hari Harindu, which means the Hari Indu, the Hari moon arose. It's very, very beautiful poetry. It's a very powerful statement. And so uh, it is, uh, thank God, that the absolute truth is personal and, uh, and that all the things that most attract us in this world, even though ultimately we're disappointed because they're, they're manifested imperfectly, but actually do exist in a pure form. In other words, uh, if you have experienced romantic love, even if, as is normally the case, you fell in love with an image of the other person rather than who the other person actually is, that's sort of normal, but, and then you find out who the person really is and you're a little bit less in love. So 
but still, even if you go back, if you if you think back to the the image, like you know, the exciting, beautiful image of the other person that you fell in love with, even if in this world people usually don't live up to that divine image, but it's still true. It's just not true on the material platform. Even that, you know, with, with all of its drug-induced features, love endorphins, and the often the uh, serious disparity between who the other person really is and who you thought the person was, or even, let's say, the highly inflated and sort of like intoxicated vision you have of yourself that in relation to the other person that you think you fell in love with, you have some exalted picture of yourself. And so, you know, all that ultimately comes crashing back to earth. Still, there is something, even in that illusory, that reflected vision, which does exist somewhere else in a pure form. And uh, I feel uh, just unlimitedly fortunate and grateful that the ultimate truth is not impersonal, that the most beautiful things, the most uh, inspiring things of this world, even though in their material forms, ultimately disappoint us, do really exist. So my greatest visions, my most inspiring moments of what life could be, actually life can be that. Life is that on another platform. And so there is perfect romantic love and uh, in the spiritual world, of course, the center of it all is Radha and Krishna. But in the spiritual world, there are other couples. Radha and Krishna are the center, and they are the focus of everyone's life. But there are couples, there are souls that have special affinity for each other. And uh, with Krishna in the center, they have special love for each other. And so, but it's not material. So all these things are true. Everything that is most inspiring, more, most beautiful in the reflection exists purely and eternally in the reality. And so that is Radharani. And typically, if we're, I don't know if we're allowed to say anything about gender nowadays, if we're allowed to do that. Even things that are, uh, you know, scientifically, even, by the way, the, uh, the uh, certain group of people who are sort of like the, uh, fierce feminist group that, uh, and you know, many of them men, not just women, who deny science. I mean, science confirms common sense in this case, not that all women are the same, not that all men are the same, but that there is such a thing as a feminine nature, uh, whatever the percentage is, a dominant feminine nature, and it often often is more compassionate. So that is, when, they, when men and women are studied, uh, women actually, consistently in scientific studies care more about people. It's just they're more concerned about other people's feelings. And so uh, Radharani as the supreme female is not some kind of divine deviation from what at least people with common sense know is often a compassionate feminine nature. After all, women are mothers. And if women were not compassionate, uh, there'd be some pretty ugly child raising going on and humanity wouldn't really make it. So uh, that compassionate, loving nature, uh, which often 
is stronger in women, a particular kind of compassion that allows them to be mothers. Uh, it's that compassionate nature. That's the last point I'll make here in this lecture, is that assuming as we do, as or, or knowing as we do, I should say, knowing as we do, that all this is true, that Radha and Krishna appeared together, that Krishna came because he wanted to understand certain things about his own relationship with Radharani and about, uh, about Radharani. Um, it seems logical, it seems very logical, that the last place in the world you would ever do that is in the material world and in Kali Yuga. I know there was, I mean, there, uh, some people claiming to be Acharyas, anyway, I won't go further with that, said that, oh, there is, you know, Lord Chaitanya, his real purpose is to relish uh, the love of Radharani and his other purpose to save the fallen souls, you know, that's not so important. Uh, so relishing is more important than preaching. Um, that is a, 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 a big misunderstanding. We know there's an internal purpose and an external purpose. However, Krishna's external purpose is not external in the same sense that our external activity is just material. Krishna has no material purposes and no material activities. The point here is that why? Why would Krishna choose to experience the most intimate possible feelings, the most advanced possible feelings in the material world, first of all, which is like, what? And not only in the material world, but in the Kali Yuga on earth. It makes no sense unless you understand more deeply Krishna's appearance in this world. That is precisely Krishna in the mood of Radharani, in other words, Lord Chaitanya, who does not kill all the sinful people, but actually forgives and saves them. And so, um, you look at the case of Jagain Madai. If we were talking 5,000 years ago, Krishna Leela, Jagain Madai, their heads would have come off so fast that, uh, yeah, you wouldn't even have seen it. Their heads would just be rolling all over the ground there. Krishna, so if you look at Krishna Leela, in which very large numbers of people lost their lives by the millions because they were asuras and because they were, they were plaguing the earth, but it's very interesting, in Krishna Leela, we'll say in Chaitanya Leela, not one person is killed. There's not one person killed in Chaitanya Leela. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that that uh, to save good people, and to eliminate, to, to remove bad people, I come. So Krishna is describing his avatar in this world, Krishna comes as Lord Chaitanya in that Binashaya uh, Duskritam to destroy the miscreants. Uh, you could say, in one sense, it doesn't really happen. At least it doesn't happen physically. Rather, their demonic nature is destroyed. And so that is Radharani. If you look at Krishna's incarnations, when it's just Krishna, uh, demons you know, lose their heads. And so Krishna decided to relish the mood of Radharani in the material world, in Kali Yuga, 
on this sort of lower middle class planet because it's, it's, it's Radha Rani's mood that changes so many of the rules of Krishna Leela so that the sinful people are saved, they're forgiven, they're given, you know, so many chances rather than, rather than simply killed. So uh, anyway, that's the message that at least I have for you today. I'd like to thank everyone for, um, for watching. I'll look very quickly and see if there's any questions here. Um, here's a question. How important is it for one to experience, understand romantic love in the material world at least to a certain degree, in order for one to understand the love God has with his associates? That's a really interesting question. And there's one answer which really doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, you know, if you want to understand Radha Krishna, you need to go out there and fall in love. Uh, I'm not going to give that advice because people, I mean, you know, people are already inclined that way. I would say rather that um, look within yourself. For example, just give one example, I often give the, the most popular romantic novels ever written in the English language were written by Jane Austen, who never married and never, you know, had a physical relationship with a man. And yet she wrote the most powerful, the, the most, the most popular, most successful romantic novel.